Our God and our Father, we thank you for your mercies. We thank you for your good gifts. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would guide your church, your people. Help us to submit ourselves to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've been talking about uh, a little bit, I've mentioned some things about the, the mission work we're trying to develop in parole. And uh, I, I wanted to also let you know that this pastor's prayer group is uh, during the, um, the better weather. We met indoors for a couple of months, but uh, we, we try, if it's 30 or above, to be outside. And so we go to different communities and neighborhoods and pray. And through that, and uh, God is opening up doors, not just in parole, but for other churches to have opportunity to um, get to know folks and minister in some neighborhoods. And so um, one of the areas uh, this past week, we, we were praying uh, at, in Eastport at Harbor House um, so that, uh, in, in, uh, I don't know if you know that area at all, um, those have some of the roughest um, areas in uh, among the roughest areas, I guess I should say, in the Annapolis area. Um, and so, the 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 church that's kind of taken up the lead of trying to get to know people in the neighborhood and figure out what they're going to do is um, just like that Bay Area and uh, Bay Bay Area. Can, Community. They are uh, they're a, a, a pretty large church um, with reformed leanings, I guess you could say. Um, <clears throat> but uh, it's interesting. The young man has kind of taken up the lead. Uh, he's studying at Westminster there in, in uh, Washington, and he is uh, trying to figure it out. He's never really done this type of missional work, but God's opened up some doors into the community there. And so they decided that they were going to try to focus on the children, but he's not doesn't have a lot of experience in this, and and I, I do have some, and I did offer to help give him some guidance and some directions and some thoughts. Uh, but but he has an interesting story. So you know, again, they they have a couple of, of of key relationships in the community to help get them to know somebody. But he was walking around one day, you know, visiting some of the people that they know in there, and he was thinking about, you know, how he was going to, uh, you know, reach the kids, you know, what, what would that look like? And uh, um, he was telling us this story before we began our prayer time, and um, I always leave the door open for God to do anything, and this is such a fascinating thing. Anyway, that the, the guy's got a pretty good, he teaches uh, evangelism classes over there, and he has these four questions that he likes to ask, and he sees this little boy walking down the street about nine or ten years old and so he starts to talk to him and he asks him kind of these standard questions which I thought was a little a little a bit of a stretch right especially the last one because um, you know it, I, I don't know that a nine or ten year old would even think in terms of this but the young man gave him these really Christian answers and so he's like interesting so he, he just said to the little boy he, the little boy was carrying a clipboard and, and he said to the little boy so um what are you carrying the clipboard? What's that about? He says, well, I'm writing down my thoughts. And he said, thoughts about what? Thoughts about God. 
and he starts talking to the little boy, and like I said, the boy just had all these really interesting um, responses, and then he he's talking uh, with him, and he's, he just decides, you know, so, you know, you're a boy, you're a child. If, if there was a, if there was a, you know, if you were going to do a, a ministry to get kids and talk to kids about Christ, what would that look like? And he said the little boy had a 10-point plan. I do this and this and this and this and all these things. A few of them, actually, that he brought up to us are actually pretty decent ideas, um, things I've actually employed in the past. Um, and, of course, when you think about this, you go, are you sure this was a little boy? Right? Just in terms of, you know, God. You know, I, I, what I, part of me wanted to say, I want to meet his mama. I want to find out what church he goes to. Um, this sort of thing. He seemed to be pretty well knowledgeable of the scriptures. And of course, another interesting thing about that is that uh, the little boy doesn't even live in that neighborhood. Um, uh, and I don't think he got any follow-up information from me, but evidently, supposedly lives up in uh, the Glenburnie area. Um, and all I'm saying is, huh, well, that's sure interesting. And you know, how are these things occurring? And there, there's actually a couple of key, uh, one of them is an, an, an older black woman in that community um, who's kind of become the, the, the woman at the well, the person, the doorway to the community, so to speak. Um, and, and, and how is this happening? Part of it is because ministers and people that are interested in reaching the community are going in the communities, they're meeting people, they're talking, they're praying. And I'm certainly not saying that this was an angel unaware. I don't know any of that. But, but it is fascinating to see what happens in this. And, of course, I always want to tell people, be careful about the assumptions you make, right? You go into a community um, that's different, and you, sometimes you have a tendency to think, well, um, their, their first problem is they need to uh, become a Christian. And if they're not, yes, that's true, but don't make assumptions about the neighborhood or the community or the ethnicity and say um, that that's uh, that they're not Christian. You need to go in there and engage with them before you make those judgments. But <coughs> we hope to have, excuse me, um, I'm part of a, of a small committee of, of guys that are kind of overseeing the pastor's prayer and, and um, we're discussing ways to help keep what we're doing and will work orthodox and that sort of thing but we hope to have a uh, we hope to have a map here soon that we can give churches so people can pray you can kind of see down okay here's Annapolis here's a community that we're praying for you know kind of have it shaded in on the map um, for each community kind of see uh, what that looks like um, so we, we do ask for your prayers. Be praying, of course, for your own community, but be praying for Annapolis here, our uh, our state capital, and, uh, where our church is. And obviously the church is where God's people um, is as well. But, but uh, and, and frankly, we're, we're developing uh, prayer groups in other parts of the county as well. We've got a West County uh, that's uh, just getting started, and we're developing a North County group as well. Um, so that the churches in that area, in these areas, can bind together and work together first in prayer, uh, but but in ways we can cooperate together. Something wrong? We need to help somebody. Oh, it's a okay. All right. 
Just a little one halfway in the uh, rain waiting for mama. Okay. <clears throat> so, uh, glad for eagle eyes. So, uh, we are finishing up uh, our, our time looking at uh, the, uh, the doctrines of the church as it relates to the Westminster Confession. We're in chapter 25.6. Um, but before we begin that discussion, um, as I was studying for the sermon this week, I came across a, uh, a recent study done by Ligonier and Lifeway. So Lifeway, the publication, Ligonier being um, the ministry that remains um, from R.C. Sproul's work called The State of Theology. And evidently they've been doing this for some time. I haven't seen it before. But it had some really interesting statistics and a few that related specifically to the church. Um, and I know that, that there's, I, I didn't have a chance to figure out how to navigate the whole, I, I read the, the summary report, which I'll actually, there's a couple of points in that I'll be referencing in the sermon today. Um, but they, there is a way I know, I couldn't figure it out today, but to navigate the uh, divide between just the general U.S. populace, and then there is a breakout section for uh, evangelicals. But uh, just uh, just as a point of reference, he's today, this morning in the Sunday school class, I'll be referencing just the general populace, which w- would include some evangelicals, okay? But uh, <clears throat> one uh, question is this. Um, <clears throat> Worshiping alone, or this is a statement, and you had to give an answer. Do you uh, strongly agree, strongly disagree, somewhat, somewhat, and then don't know, excuse me, or unsure? And here's here's a statement. Worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. On the general U.S. population, 67% run from somewhat agree to totally agree, uh, with a mere 8% unsure. So that means that 75% of the American population of those polled, and it was over 3,000, and I don't know where they get their randomness, how they work all that out. Um, but but of, of their respondents, 75% range from not sure to totally agree that worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for attending church. Um, And of course that's uh, concerning. Um, There's another one. Now Now notice this. Here's another statement. Every Christian has an obligation to join a local church. Okay? 55% um, disagree with that statement. It's the general U.S. population with only 8% not sure. So that puts you, um, you know, 63% from, like, not sure, neutral, all the way to strongly disagree. But, you know, you look at that, and it's really funny. Now, this, again, is a cross-statement. Uh, you know, cross-section of both Christians and non-Christians because this next one shows that there's a real disconnect between what people think of the church and 
the relationship not only with God but with Jesus Christ himself because here's the statement Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that could remove the penalty of my sin okay only 21% of the Americans polled strongly disagreed with that statement yeah and 15% somewhat disagreed. So that, that means you combine that 36%. So on, on, on the other side, 64% of the general populace, based off this poll, think that Jesus is the only way to remove your sins. Right? And yet there's this serious break between understanding that Christ is the only way of delivering me of my sins and how how my relationship with Jesus Christ connects to the church itself okay and so I, I'm putting these statistics out to help you just understand you know what why why have we been spending all this time talking about what does it mean to be the church what does it mean what are the doctrines that, um, that, that we subscribe to that talk about the church and then what does it mean uh, to, to be the community. Um, there's a book that I've shared with a number of you called The um, uh, Church-Friendly Family. And if you're interested in that, I do have some copies upstairs for a good price. I don't know, I think it's like $8. But uh, it's a, a really good uh, book. It's got Rich Lusk and Randy Booth. Um, and it was edited and put together by Yuri Brito, um, who's... Um, been, I think I mentioned to you, nominated um, to be the presiding minister for our denomination. And it based off of lectures that these men and their notes that they gave at a, at a conference, I think, in 2010. But, but understanding what does it mean, how do we relate, how do we think through being a Christian, and what does that mean as, for my family in relationship to the church, some very helpful uh, things in that. And so I just, I just want to encourage you, um, you know, ordinarily there's no salvation outside of the church. What does that mean? God uses his people to bring the gospel to others, right? Um, we are the voice as well as compassionately the hands and feet of, of Christ to the world. And that takes on um, a, whole, a whole meaning of itself. And we have obligations to one another, to love one another, to keep one another, um, to care for one another. Uh, when we were uh, in our men's group on Wednesday night, uh, we were going through, as you know, life together with Bonhoeffer. And, you know, we were talking about um, listening and talking and the relational side and, of, of things. And, and it, it's, it's really fascinating. But, it, but in that that time we were discussing that one of the things I brought up is um, you know having the obligation to one another to look around on a Sunday and say hey who's missing and can I reach out to them this week now obviously I have somewhat of an advantage right because I'm looking this way for so long but every week and, and I know you think well this is what the pastor's supposed to do that's true but so should you but every week I take the list and I go through and I think about who was here, and actually Sunday afternoon, so it's fresh in my mind, who, who was not here today, right? And then I try to reach out, and 
I try to, you know, I've actually got somebody on my short list that if they don't respond soon, I'm driving to their house and knocking on the door. Okay. I, and, and, and in some ways, um, understand I'm the shepherd and I'm leading you, but this is the type of community that we need to be, right? Who, who here has ever felt weak in your faith? Anyone? Right? I, if, if, if you're not raising your hands, I'm going to call you out. Right? Um, have you, it, when you were in that state, did you feel alone? Um, was, was your, was your uh, emphasis to be to isolate? Right? The exact thing that you, that, that you need, relationship with faithful brothers and sisters, right? And in that, I guess I should say, they're sinners saved by grace too, right? But, but the exact thing you need is the thing you don't want to do, right? And so guard your hearts, guard yourself. Don't give in to that temptation. And brothers and sisters, look around, reach out, and encourage one another, right? Make a point. Um, you know, how many of you guys have a smartphone? Raise your hand. You know, it has this nifty thing called reminders. You can just you can just say you can talk to your phone, and and give yourself a reminder with alerts, right? To because you know we know how it is. We're driving somewhere and we think about somebody, and then we don't think about it when we get home and we're busy. Call out to your phone, create a reminder. Um, that's how I try to uh, remember who to talk to and what to do. All right, um, let's go ahead and hit uh, um, this last uh, this last uh, point in the Westminster Confession on the church. So we're going to read it, talk about it, then go through some of the verses together. So chapter 25 of the Westminster Confession, point 6. There is no other head of the church but the Lord Jesus Christ, nor can the Pope of Rome in any sense be head thereof. But is that Antichrist, the man of sin and the son of perdition, that exalteth himself in the church against Christ and all that is called God? Now, it's interesting. There are a few modern versions that that take out the assertion that uh, the Pope is the Antichrist. Um, Anyone have have a guess why they put this part into the Westminster Confession? That's exactly right. If you remember when I did the introduction to the Westminster Confession, I talked about what was going on, right? So the, uh, the, the Westminster Assembly is called by Parliament. Um, King Charles I is trying to return England, disband the Church of England, and call England back to, to the Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, a war is broken out um, in that fashion. And so... There is a real angst at that moment to push back against being under the authority of the Roman Pope or the Roman Bishop, right? And so they are, um, they're going to include that in their doctrine of the church because they want it to be abundantly clear that whether it's the um, official church of England, the Puritans, the handful of, of Presbyterians that are there, all of these men who've come together and they're writing out the doctrines, 
the, the, the big doctrine of the day is we don't want, we don't believe that it's right to go back to being under the church at Rome and being under the Pope. Um, and so they're going to state that unequivocally. Um, and I, I think it's important for us to remember that um, there is no uh, doctrine we can write. There's no uh, uh, statement you can make that doesn't have a context to it, right? Uh, we, we need to bear that in mind as, as we consider what we read and what we study. I mean, right now, if, we were to, if I were to say to each of you, would you write down the top three issues you think the church is facing, worrying about the Pope being the Antichrist, or the general church of America, let's say, turning to Roman Catholicism. I don't suspect that would be at the top of the list. Um, j- just on that thought for a minute, what do you think one of those, you know, maybe give me one of what you think the pressing issues of the day are? Yes, ma'am. Wokeism. Okay, and I would say more specifically, can somebody give me what? Go ahead. Okay, so we could probably, maybe the, the, the biblical response would be, um, one, that God has created them male and female, right? And that um, as a representative of Christ to the bride, the congregation, the pastors should be male. That would kind of be kind of how we would, yes, ma'am. Um, I'll do this too for you guys. I will uh, I'll try to remember to send out a link to this to this uh, Ligonier Lifeway poll because it actually talks about that question as well. And of course, uh, Jay Gresham Nation, you know that was that that takes up one of his handful of chapters in Christianity and liberalism that he wrote in the 30s. Um, so yes, the authority of Scripture. Um, and, and, and what that works works out to be. You know, it's interesting. One of the, the questions tied to what you just said that was in the poll was that God adapts and learns to new situations. Can you imagine? That was th- That's the statement. And, and then you say, I agree, I disagree, I somewhat agree, I somewhat disagree, and I don't know. And actually, I think in the I don't know, that was probably one of the largest I don't know sections, right? So the authority of Scripture. And I don't want us to spend too much time on that, but my point is I, I just want um, to say that that is important. Of course, I would argue that I think the Westminster Confession, uh, uh, Westminster Divines also recognize that as well. They spent a good deal of time on uh, you know, speaking to the fact that we're submitting ourselves to God's Word, and God's Word is... Um, stable and true always. Yes, sir.
know, R.L. Dabney and his philosophy of uh, his book on philosophy, he, he talks about the philosophy of the emotion, right? And, and, you know, Machen makes a similar statement that emotions go to and fro. And when we have elevated how we feel as the definitive truth, um, you know, it's not even, you know, wheels on the fixed point of, of truth. Um, basically, you've beaten that chair to death, and there just isn't even a concept of what fixed truth even looks like. Um, so, let, let's focus on the most important part of this statement here, and that is there is no other head of the church but the Lord Jesus Christ. Who could read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 for us? Yes, ma'am, go ahead. Okay, so Christ is the head of the church, right? Pretty clear statement right there. Um, <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Yes, sir. Christ is first in everything. Okay. Um, I, I, I want to, uh, I want to emphasize to you that here they, they're going to spend a number, a little bit of a time of then attacking um, the the antichrist. And of course, there have been many antichrists, those that oppose uh, the authority of of Jesus Christ authority of the gospel um, my particular opinion is that the antichrist was the high priest at the time of the destruction of the temple um, you know there's no bigger greater way to be against Christ than to, to oversee his crucifixion and to persecute of uh, the church and try to push them back um, but I, I want us to recognize because there's a practical problem that we have right um, we, we have a practical problem of we recognize and everyone in this room agrees with these two verses that Jesus is the head of the church and he is the head of all but how does that work itself out right how does that work itself out yes sir And, and when we say believe that, that is to say you, you, you make tangible decisions in your daily life because he's king. Yes, Sam? His family was. Um, because, and remember what they said when they were leading that charge to crucify him, let it be on us and our children. Um, so his family was still in, in power at the time. Um, I, I, you know, 
One of the things that we have a tendency to do is, you know, we want to do the natural thing and build the city of God, right? The city on a hill, the light shining. Um, but, but the reality is, like, so what does that mean for the church, right? Should we be, should we be part of one single army with a, with a single general? Because, it, you know, how, how do we end up with the Roman Catholic Pope? We, we, we had um, bishops over cities, and uh, maybe not just the city limits itself, but the region, a region of area, and the Bishop of Rome grew in, in power um, and influence, right? And other bishops eventually, you know, the east and the west split and then the other bishops begin to uh, capitulate. Part of it is persecution um, by Muslims and uh, other pagans but, but the church, it's, it's expanding and, and we have a tendency to want to consolidate um, power, right? Um, and, you know, one of the distinctives of the CREC that's important to point, point out excuse me is that um, we're a communion of churches, right? Our presbytery only exists when it's called to order, right? So we just had a presbytery meeting. So all the churches that are part of our presbytery, right, um, it, it only exists and uh, makes decisions and does all of these things when it's called into session. Outside of that, um, we, we are all members of our local churches. So I'm a member of this church. There are churches like the PCA, for example, where the ministers are not a, not a member of their local church, but rather they're a member of the presbytery, right? And so that there's, a, there's kind of a break there, which can lead, I'm not throwing this onto the PCA precisely, but it can lead to people becoming and acting like um, popes. And, and I, I'll, I'll bring up the obvious thing. There's been some, it's been a while, uh, but in the early stages of the CREC, there were jokes about, um, and, and I think some serious assertions as well, that Doug Wilson was the pope. Uh, and at one point, somebody even uh, put up a meme of, of Doug in, a, uh, in the pope's outfit. Uh, but it's interesting to, to point out or to note um, where Doug is a loud mouthpiece for us, and I don't mean that necessarily disrespectful, but he does have a wide reach. Um, you know, there's, there's a CREC church um, up in Massachusetts, and Ken, Kendall Lankford is the pastor there. And I first met him at our last general council uh, down in Monroe, and he was coming down to visit to decide they were looking at joining into the CREC and they were um, you know trying to figure out what to do and of course his big fear was you know this place is controlled by one man and what he found when he sat in the general council is that Doug was among 12, 12 14 other men on the on the council right as a matter of fact Doug wasn't even the presiding minister for his own presbytery he was actually the second the pro tem, but that makes him part of the, the council. And so he, up there, and the the what he what 
helped him was to recognize that the council spoke their, their varying views and Doug wasn't the last word on that. And that actually helped him make a decision that, okay, this isn't something run by one guy um, who carries all of this influence. Now, obviously, um, he, he has an influence and he has some positive things to say and he's been instrumental in what we're doing. And our general council this year is it's the 25th anniversary of the CREC, and so it's going to be held in Moscow, and I suspect it'll probably never be held in Moscow again unless they build a big airport. Um, well, but but I'll tell you one of the reasons, even though like in Monroe, where 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 we had the largest church facility in the entire CREC, because we could during the COVID time, because we couldn't find any place that could guarantee that we could meet and be together and eat together, um, they ended up going to Monroe, and that's a regional airport, okay? So you got to fly somewhere, you know, most of the way here, and then take a puddle jumper over, okay? And that created some delays and, and some other things in that. Um, but but I, I just, and, and I know Virgil Hurt, who's the current presiding minister, said, you know, I really want us to try to meet in places where everybody can just fly right in and get there, right, into the, 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 the larger hub so that we don't have delays and challenges and of course it's more expensive to make those other jumps uh, so I, I only bring that up to say that, that as we grow um, you know and, and God's been great uh, we've had a lot of growth both in our local churches and then also adding in new churches and church plants and missions and that sort of thing but, but, but all that to say you know, it's it's much more important for us to be connected at the local level. You have local elders, you have your local church. Um, can we bind together to do other things? So, an answer to that question is yes. So, you look at things like like Jeep, the Joint Eastern European Project, right? Which which I participate in in that board, and basically we have pastors and elders from our churches from all over the country. Right and actually the world, as uh, as our uh, Lubu Yarmolak in uh, Poland is part of our board as well, but and, and we're working to support the the church work in Eastern Europe. I, and again, I'm just saying that it, it's just locally driven, right? There isn't we're, we're doing what we can to avoid as much administrative costs. Um, Doug, in the early stages made the joke that when we have a filing cabinet it's over okay now that was easy to say when there were 30 churches maybe even 65 churches but in in the growth that we've experienced here lately um, you know our files aren't filing cabinets obviously they're on computers but there's a little more organization that it takes but we're going to have to work hard to resist becoming um, just a big weighty thing that becomes a national deal instead of the focus on the local church because Christ is the head and we do need the supremacy of the scriptures and we need to um, address ourselves under the fact that that there is sufficiency in all of God's word for life uh, and and I'll, on that subject I just want to say this that you know when we're a child we like simple if this, then that, right? 
And God's design for us is to grow. He does have a lot of things in his word that are simply black and white. That's helpful. And then out of those black and white things, he also gives uh, larger, uh, larger concepts for us to work through, right? So, so if you take a bunch of those black and whites, and then you, you see also that he makes some generalities, right? Points for us to hold. We have to work through all of those things and say, okay, how, you know, how does God's word apply to this? Because you can't just say, um, okay, the Bible doesn't say if my kid throws himself down on the floor and rolls around in anger, okay, look, here it is, subtext, verse, phrase, right there. Here's what you do, right? What's that? Right? So what do we have to do? We have to take the, princ- the, the, the absolute truths, the principles that he gives us, and we have to apply wisdom to it and draw out the truth, right? And say, okay, what are the means in this? Which also means um, that it doesn't always look exactly the same family to family, although um, I do think there's a four-step process to that child rolling around on the floor. And, and actually, I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to say a five-step because one of the questions that you ought to be asking is what have I done to encourage that or to set them up for that failure? Um, anyway, all, all that to say that um, we, we need to um, recognize the importance of the church and that in our worship together as a community, um, that is what assaults the gates of hell. We have personal, relational responsibilities one to another. And, of course, I'm not saying take your, take your church directory and call every single person every single week. No, but uh, be working and caring and talking and praying with one another. Questions or comments? So, so one of the things, and I would like to see us develop this here for us, you know, we're kind of on the borderline of needing this already, but, but kind of dividing up into geographic parishes with leadership that's involved because I've talked about with you guys before, when I first came here, it took me about 20 minutes to pray for everybody every day. Now it takes considerably longer, right? Um, <clears throat> because I don't want to just pray, say your name, Lord bless them, right? I want to pray for the issues life <clears throat> and so um, what's sustainable you know can I you know how many hours a day will it take for me to pray for 500 people well not that I don't want to have a round that I'm doing as I work through the church as we grow larger but, but there is a reality of what can be done and done well and proper so um, there is no obviously scriptures don't give us clear-cut um, answers but I would 
I think from my life experience, watching a number of churches, being involved in a number of churches, and being aware of some other things, um, I, th- I think um, five to six hundred is the max. And ideally, what you're doing when you get to that five or six hundred, um, and maybe you're doing it before this, but but you want to be able to, if you want to plant this, a church, presumably maybe in one of those parishes, right? You, you take 150, 200 people and you drop them in there, and you've got a a self-sustaining church almost. Now, it doesn't always work out perfectly that way, but and, and so don't hold me hard to those numbers. We might get to 400, and we've just got 100 people that are driving 45 minutes to get here in an area. Well, should we look at uh, establishing a church in that community um, so that we can, uh, we can uh, they, they can be most affected. So uh, from a denominational standpoint, I don't know. I think if you try to keep a uh, somewhat of a decentralized commitment, um, I think that can be helpful. I've never seen that last. I, I don't know. I, I can't think of anything historically that I could point to, but the reality is that, 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 that if the church becomes this part of just simply a bigger organization, it becomes unwieldy. Right? And I think you can lose your effectiveness um, at the local level. And, uh, and so what you end up with, you might have all this structure, but in the end you still have localized churches kind of doing their own thing to a degree. Um, so I don't know. We'll have to walk through that together. Um, that's probably actually a bigger question for your generation than mine. We're kind of doing things now to set that up. God's growing us. Uh, but what's it going to mean um, I'm 70, and I'm and I'm phasing out of of leadership and direction in our denomination. And then, what does that mean for those of you that are in your 30s now? You're going to probably face those challenges more than I. Those are good questions. Uh, who, Bethany, did you have a question? Sure. So, so we agree principally to uh, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, um, the uh, the uh, Chalcedon or Chalcedon um, Confession, and then and and so we, and then you have to pick from this list of other uh, confessions, which the Westminster is among, um, to be a part of to agree that hey, you're going to abide by, um, you know, we're going to work together in, in that way. But in terms of authority or rule, right, um, there is no absolute authority. So like our presiding minister, let's say Church A is having trouble in their church and they, they call the presiding minister um, because they're having issues they can't seem to resolve at the local level. The presiding minister uh, will ask some questions. He may form a, uh, a small committee, two or three guys, probably three, and they'll go and they'll they'll start meeting with the session and the people of the church, right? And, and um, that committee will make a recommendation. Um, and, and if it's really drastic, what happens is is that the presbytery itself will call a special meeting, right? And then we come together and we can adjudicate that. 
Um, but we, we've agreed to certain principles. We're going to function, and it's pretty broad, right? We get a lot of freedom to do things, but but the authority of the presbytery to protect the pulpit, to to deal with issues, um, the the presiding minister, whether it's at the presbytery level or at the national level, um, can make certain decisions based off of committees and councils and things. But then when we actually come together, we can ratify those. Right, so he makes a decision to do X, like um, the uh, our presiding minister's council during COVID may put out a statement on the importance of worship and that we must worship in spite of what's going on. And where that was put out, we all appreciated it. That didn't become a solid fact binding until the general council and everybody got in there and voted on the rolls. So. And, and not that it's happened yet, but there's always the possibility that we won't affirm some d- 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 something that they've done. And they've got to go back and, and we'll direct them to go back and change it to the will of the council, if that makes sense. Anything else? All right, let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for your mercies. I pray, O Lord, that your spirit would be upon us. Please prepare our hearts for worship and the renewal of your covenant promises with us. We thank you for your grace that has established this church. Help us to love one another. Help us to serve one another. Lord, we recognize that you are king over all the earth, all of creation, and even this church and our lives. May we glorify you by acknowledging all of this, not just with our mouths, but with our actions as well. In Jesus' name. Amen.